0: Can take your Bibles and turn to Romans 16, Romans chapter 16, the last chapter of the book of Romans, and uh, that was an impressively impressively well-behaved group of kiddos. Wow, I mean, usually when we do that, kids are going bonkers on stage. That was that was great. Um, <clears throat> okay, we're in Romans 16. My name is Pastor Clint. I'm one of the pastors here, and. Um, and we're we're winding down our series in Romans we're going to finish up the text of Romans today and um, and we're going to talk about a subject that's really relevant to all of us and and that's the subject of Christian community and uh, so today uh, as we dig into this I want to I want to begin by praying I know we just prayed but can't do enough of that so let me pray again that God would teach us his word today Lord Jesus, we trust in you with our whole hearts and we're we're eager. We're eager, Lord Jesus, to hear from you today. We have heard from so many this week. We've heard from our families and our friends and our coworkers. We've consumed a ton of media that has washed us in worldly thinking. And we need to hear from you. God, particularly in the way that we think about other Christians, when we consider the scriptural reality that the world will know we are your disciples, we will validate our faith by the way we love one another, help us to pay attention as you open your mouth to us today about how we should relate to one another. Each of us comes in here with a certain posture toward um, other Christians, toward the church as an institution. And I pray that today in the areas where we need to be corrected, where our hearts need to be uh, changed, where our perspectives need to be different than they currently are, in order for us to grow closer to you, I pray that you would convict us. Lord, and as I... I always want to ask you, when we come to this great responsibility, when I come to this great responsibility of sharing your word with others, I pray that you would teach today. That you would be the the speaker, the teacher. We would be learners. God, I would be a learner today. Help us, Lord, to be receptive to you. Lord, you, you tell us that parable in the Bible about the various types of soil that the seeds of the gospel might fall on. We pray that today in our hearts, you'd find a receptive soil for the seeds of your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Romans 16, let's just read it. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centrea. And I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way that's worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she's been a benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. Greet my dear friend, Apinadas, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Julia, Dunia, who, my fellow worker or Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the Apostles, and they were in Christ even before I was. Greet Ampliitis, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apellas, who whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus, greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who is in the Lord. Greet Trephena and Trephosa, whose women, who the who those women who've worked hard in the Lord. And greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who's worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother, who's been like a mother to me too. Greet Asyncratus and Phlegon and Hermes and Petrobus and Hermos and other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Phalagus, Julia, Narius, and his sister and Olympus and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you. As do Lucius and Jesus and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, wrote down this letter to greet you. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, also send you greetings. Erastus, who's the city's director of public works, and our brother, Cardus, send you their greetings. And now to him... ...who is able to establish you in accordance with the gospel. The message I proclaim to you about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to obe- the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ... Amen. I'm convinced Pastor Colby just wanted to hear me say all those names. (laughs) That's why he assigned that text to me. Um, My wife and I are really, really different. Um, Some of you probably are really different from your spouses. Our differences never show themselves more apparent than in our approach to going to the grocery store now here's how she does it she makes a list she makes a list before she goes to the store she thinks about the food that we're going to eat over now get this the next two weeks i can't think about the food i'm going to eat in the next meal and she thinks about the food we're going to eat for the next two weeks all nine of us in our house She thinks about the food we're going to eat over the next two weeks, and she thinks about all the things we need to make those meals, all the ingredients that it will take to make those meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and snacks. It's an incredible amount of information. She looks around in our pantry and in our freezer and our refrigerator to see what items we already have, and then she, like, deduces what we need to get, and and then armed with all that information, she makes this incredible list of all the things that we need. And then to go a step further, she, she divides the list up among the children and they go into the store and they all go to their own sections and get the things from the list. She is seriously impressive when it comes to the grocery list. I found that I like to be much more creative when I approach grocery shopping. I, I find that I, I get the greatest amount of creativity when I'm actually in the grocery store. I don't like to prepare ahead of time. That stifles my creativity. I like to be in the store and, and get a sense of the environment while I'm there and kind of be inspired by the things I see around me. A- and I get all kinds of ideas while I'm in the store. Now, if she makes the mistake of sending me to the store without clear instructions... Uh, about what to bring back home, specific items, you can be sure that I will come home with an assortment of little Debbie cakes and probably a family-sized package of ribeye steaks and probably, because I was waiting in line, a colorful fidget spinner. (laughs) I'm not good in the grocery. When we shop together, Jennifer and I uh, we, we go to the store together. She spends a lot of time taking items out of the cart that I put in the cart. Like when I turn around to go get something else, and then we'll get home and run packing. I'm like, where's the, where's the ding-dongs? And she says, I took those out. Yeah. So today, you're saying, well, what does this have to do with anything we just read? Well, today as we start to button up our time of study in the book of, of Romans, We've uh, we've read through this entire chapter, and I don't know about you, but it strikes me as as very very personal, vulnerable, and intimate. It gives us a glimpse into Paul's way of relating to other people, the way he thinks about others, and I hope it highlights for us not just what to believe, which so much of Romans does, or what to do, which we also find in Romans, but But it tells us how we should relate to those who believe and who do along with us. The ministry we're part of here isn't casual or social even here. It's not casual or social and it's not corporate or professional. What we do here is relational and it's familial if we do it right. So I want to proverbially walk through the grocery store of paul's final greetings to the roman church the last things he has to say to them before he closes up the book and i want to try to gather up some of the healthy items from what he does there and put them in our in our cart and i want to try to to make them part of our our diet in the future as a church and, and I was thinking that maybe by watching Paul and his interaction with his companions and his coworkers in the gospel, with fellow Christians, that, that we could note some of the unhealthy things that we do as we relate to other Christians. We could take some of those things uh, out of our cart. So that's, that's the idea here. Is we're going we're gonna to sort of grocery shop through what it is that Paul has to say to us. So let's just look right at the text. And we're not going to hit every one of these. Uh, we can't. There, there's a lot of really great information here. A lot we could spend time on today, but I want to look at four things in particular that we see happen here with one or more people and the interactions that he has with them. And I want to try to uh, try to encourage us as a congregation to begin to embody and embrace these these uh, ways of relating to one another. Now, this is a note. Now, I'm going to apply this largely to us in the way we relate to one another here, and I think it's an appropriate application. But I want to note that what's happening in this text is Paul's writing to a church that he's never been to. Pastor Colby said that to us last week. You remember You remember that. He's not ever been to the church at Rome. He wants to be at the church at Rome, but he's not yet been there. So we're talking about the Apostle Paul, the teacher here, the, 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 the leader— And he's not yet been in their midst. He's not been their pastor. He's not been there with them. We're going to see that he knows a lot of the players and the characters, but he's not been there directly with them. How much more should we, as followers of Jesus Christ, who do relate in the same body, embody these types of of ways of relating? So let's start right at the top of the passage. Phoebe is the first person mentioned in the uh, passage. And and I want you to notice what Paul does there is he commends Phoebe to them. Phoebe's the only person in this passage that's not part of the Roman church. She's part of the Corinthian work. She's not part of the Roman work. And she's the courier. She's the carrier of the epistle to the Romans. Ten thousand words. 10,000 words written down, that's a lot of words, that's like a small book, 10,000 words written down by the Apostle Paul for a church he loved so much that he would take the time to write down 10,000 words for them, that he would know so many people, 29 individual people mentioned by name at the end of the text, that he would take the time to write that down and take the care to entrust it to somebody he knows is trustworthy to carry it to Rome on his behalf in order to deliver it to them. And what he does in the very beginning of this passage is he tells them about Phoebe. Now, Phoebe's not, he, she's the only person that's not part of the Roman church, like I said. She carries this epistle to the church at Rome. And it's not just to one church, it's to the churches of Rome. We know that it's not just to one church because he mentions some of the churches in particular like the one that meets in the house of of uh, Priscilla and Aquila for example. And so we know that it's the it's the body of Christ in Rome and that might have individual local church expressions throughout the city. So Phoebe comes and she brings this message. Look at verse 16. I commend to you our sister, or chapter 16, sorry. I commend to you our, chap, uh, our sister Phoebe, a deacon in the church at Centrea. So he's giving her credibility by, by mentioning her position. And I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way that's worthy of his people and give her any help she may need from you. What, he, what he's doing is he's taking his credibility and he's lending it to Phoebe and he's saying, based on the credibility that I have with you, would you extend grace to her that she may, if she needs help from you? And she's been a benefactor of many people, including me. So he gives her this incredible commendation, this endorsement. Notice what Paul does here. He uses his influence for the good of another. And we, you and I, have the opportunity to do that inside the body of Christ in an incredible way. You know, this is one of the things families do for one another that strangers don't do for one another. What family does for one another is we we co-sign with one another, so to speak. You know, we can stand there. Their success is, in a measure, our success. Our success is, in a measure, their success. I'm not going to let somebody who's part of my family suffer and struggle. In fact, Timothy tells me in the Scripture that if I do so, I'm worse than an unbeliever. So there's this, like, familial responsibility to, to care for somebody in my, in my uh, actual family as if it's my own flesh. And that responsibility extends into the body of Christ. As we are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, as we are in a family of faith, we have the responsibility to share our credibility with one another for the good of one another. To vouch for each other. So, 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 that's what's going on here. The knowledge that we have about somebody else's character or their experience, um, we have, we have uh, them. Th- we have about them. That's valuable information that we can sometimes uh, give, and it opens doors of opportunities for other fellow believers. I've seen so many examples of this in our congregation. There are so many ways in which. Uh, People in our church have opened doors of opportunity for other people in our church. It's almost a reason enough to be a part of the household of faith. If it weren't for the incredible sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, dying for our sins, even the participation in a body should be a benefit, a blessing to all of us because we have this big family of people who's looking out for us. Who's not okay just letting us go by in life and struggling through and sitting back at a distance and watching us huddle and struggle and not stepping in and helping? What we do in the body of Christ is we act like brothers and sisters. We act like parents with one another, and we look out for one another's good. That's a lot of what was expressed in the parent-child dedication that just happened here. This is us saying as a congregation, you're not the only person responsible for raising those children. We, too, bear a measure of responsibility in raising those children. We, too, uh, accept a portion of the responsibility to bless you. I think what we see here uh, is, is something that we should adopt. We should be eager to affirm before others the gifts, the talents, the skills, the abilities that we have noted in our brothers and sisters in Christ. Today, I have the occasion to give you a great example of this. My friend Bill Jessup is here. He's sitting here in the front. and Bill Jessup is, uh, has played an incredible uh, role of influence in my life. This, uh, uh, he, he just looks like a stranger to you. He would pass by. You don't know him. But you should know that without Bill Jessup, there would be no Pastor Colby, there would be no Pastor Clint, and there would certainly be no Pillar Church. Uh, Bill was the person that hired both me and Colby at the church that he was the pastor of in Stafford circa 2000. And so he hired both of us really going out on a limb. I mean... Both of us were sort of fresh in or out of seminary. We were sort of in the midst uh, still of school, and neither one of us had done anything uh, ministerially or professionally that was worthy of receiving a job. And he, and he welcomed us in to the church that he was leading, and he took it upon himself to, to foster us, to care for us, to mentor us. Bill gave both... Colby and I, our first significant opportunities in ministry, encouraged us skillfully and creatively, highlighting the unique ways in which he's gifted us. Periodically, often, Pastor Colby and I will be doing something and we'll be reminded of something that Bill did for us or with us long ago that influences our daily decisions even right now. He, he patiently shepherded us through our inexperience and our immaturity and was uh, both, uh, he was for us. He was advocating for us. He was, he was with us when other folks said, I don't know about those guys. He stood beside us. He said, proverbially, I believe in you. I'm with you. I'm for you. And when we went to him with harebrained and crazy ideas, things we wanted to try and do, um, we went to him and talked to him about it. He, he tried to make a way for it to happen, encouraging us and believing in us. If you've If you ever need any encouragement or you need any counsel, you'll not find somebody better than Bill to help you sort through an issue. He actually does uh, counseling professionally now because he's so good at this. And so I I, I say all that to, to commend him to you, to say, you don't know this guy, but now you know a whole lot about him because I've experienced him. And I get to lend that to you. I get to help you experience that a little bit just by hearing about it. So that now you would think a little differently about him. He's not just a stranger that you don't know anything about, but he's he's somebody that you know some about and that you can give some credibility to because of what you've heard from me. We should be doing that for one another all over the body of Christ. You know, the word encouragement is a really easy word to break down. It's like to give courage, right? So when somebody does that for you, it, it emboldens you. It gives you courage so that you can take bold steps of faith and action in life. If you're unsure about yourself and somebody comes alongside you and says, no, I believe you can do it and I'll walk with you in it, you're much more likely to take steps of faith. And so as we stand with each other and we say to church planners, hey, you can go out, you can go out and you can fail and we're still going to love you if you do. They're emboldened to go do it. And when missionaries feel the desire to go serve the Lord overseas, and we stand beside them and say, we're going to be with you, we're going to pray for you, we're going to visit you, we're going to give you resources and money, and we're going to stand with you, and every week when we gather, we're going to we're going to pray. We're going to help the, uh, hope that the Lord does something great in you. They feel emboldened to do that work. It's not just on mission, but it's in everyday life as we help one another become good parents and husbands and wives. And as we help one another serve and love one another. This is what we do for one another. It's not so much about what the pastors do for you, but what we do as a body for one another. So the first thing I want you to see is the example of Phoebe, Phoebe that Paul commended to others. We should commend also the people in our midst, the people in our faith family, to others. Next, I want you to see the example of Priscilla and Aquila. This is a dy- dynamic duo couple in the Bible. This is, uh, this is a couple that, that there's only a few mentions of them. Like, uh, I think there's six individual places in the Bible where these two are mentioned, but th- the things that are said about them are pretty impressive. Priscilla and aquila or prisca in aquila sometimes you'll see it uh, we should be willing what we learn from these two is that we should be willing to risk for one another we should be willing to risk for one another look at verse three greet priscilla and aquila my co-workers in jesus christ so they're companions co-workers in jesus christ remember paul's never been there but they're there which means that paul worked with them elsewhere And now they're there. So he feels a measure of knowledge and responsibility about them because they're there and he's worked with them in the past. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Why? Look at verse 4. Because they risked their lives for me, he says. Interestingly, he doesn't really unpack what they did to risk their lives for him. But that's pretty strong language. In fact, the uh, uh, so, some Bible translations say literally say the phrase he he, he he they risked their neck for me, they put their neck on the line. This couple is amazing. We don't have time to go through all that we know. We don't have time to go through all that we know about them. But they were a Roman couple that they had a business in tent making. So the first thing we know, we think of Paul as the tent maker, right? Well, where did, where did Paul learn to make tents? From Priscilla and Aquila. They owned a business and they taught him how to do it. And so they owned a business, and so they, uh, they, they uh, essentially, uh, you know, you can, in your mind's eye, you can sort of imagine Paul being in sort of a financial pickle at some point, and them extending a grace to him by seeing the merits of his ministry and inviting him to, to earn some money in their business while he goes and does the ministry that he's doing. They got Paul into the business to help support him financially. They also stepped up. When Paul started ministries, Paul has this MO. If you watch him, he, he starts things, he goes and shares Jesus, gathers a church together, and then he rolls out pretty quick. You know, sometimes he even says, No, I'm gonna stick around, don't worry about it, and then he rolls out anyway, and he like he moves along pretty quickly, he always feels this urgency to go to the next place. That's he's he's an apostle, he's a sent one, he's a mover, and and that's what he does, and he continues to move along. And, and Priscilla and Aquila were like the cleanup game for Paul. They would come behind him and stabilize and establish the things that Paul would go and do. And they didn't do it in a way that they had to be supported for it or they felt some kind of respect. They just came in quietly and served the Lord and served Paul. They also stepped up and continued to run ministries and uh, churches that were planted by Paul. They got kicked out of Rome at one point. This is their place. This is where they're from. They got kicked out of Rome at one point, point. Uh, and, and then later we see them back there. When Paul's writing in Romans 16, he's writing to them and he says, greet them, so we know that they came back, too, probably at great risk. They came back probably to lead some of the ministries there because Paul couldn't get there, and, and, and they're back there, and they risked their necks for him. We don't exactly know what it means that they risked their necks, but they... Uh, They did something incredible that Paul saw as very risky, and he's a risky guy. So if he saw it as risky, there's a chance it was pretty risky. Did they smuggle him out? I don't know. Did they publicly defend him against against the threat of persecution? Maybe. Did they borrow some money to help him, you know, through the ministry? We, We don't know the details, but we know enough. We know that he says they risked their lives for him. These people put their necks on the line for Paul. And according to verse 5, they they even started a church there in their own house. Let me ask you, have you risked for another brother and sister in any way? Have you risked personal position or financial position or reputation for any other brother and sister in Christ? we should do this. We should be willing to do this. Again, this is what a family does for one another. This is how we prove that our, our love for Jesus Christ is a familial love, that he is our father and we get to relate to one another as brothers and sisters who have received the same grace from our heavenly father. Consider the example that we get of Jesus on this matter. Paul says this in the book of Philippians. So this is in Philippians 2, but he's talking about Jesus and he's commending us to act the same way Jesus acts. Here's what he says. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. He says, let every one of you, let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also on the interests of others. The way we are to relate together in the body of Christ is that the interests of one another are to be important and valuable to us. This is not the way we're we're trained to relate to one another. We're trained to look at everyone with suspicion and scrutiny. But we're supposed to give one another the benefit of the doubt. We're supposed to look out for one another and love one another. Even in our weakness, even when we don't do everything perfectly, there should still be a family of faith around us that loves us. This is one of the amazing things about being part of a family. And one of the reasons, incidentally, why it's so awful when a child is familyless. Because what a family does for one another is they cover over our weaknesses. They help to protect us from ourselves. They look out for us when our decisions have gotten us out on a dangerous ledge. And for some of us, there have been times in our life where our family's willingness to stay with us is the only thing that stopped us from falling into oblivion. We can be family like that for one another. This is not pie in the sky. This is not too too, uh, big. This is not normal, but it is possible. And it's possible when you and I commit to reserve margin in our lives that we will offer to and extend to others in our faith family. In the family of God. Every time we hive off a portion of our income to give to a missionary or to support the ministry of our church, we are modeling this type of behavior. Every time we dedicate time we could use to cleaning out our garage or, or cleaning up our car or hanging out with our own families to dedicate ourselves to spend a little time with a Christian who, who's struggling or who needs to grow, we prove the family-like nature of our relationship together. That means the way for Christians to relate to one another is a self-sacrificial way. The world tells us the totally opposite story on this. The world tells us that the, the way we will find happiness is by heaping fulfillment on ourselves and ignoring everyone else. But the gospel tells us the way to find significance and happiness is to consider others more significant than ourselves and to put their interests above our own interests. This is the, the tension between the way we live as gospel people and the way we're, we're indoctrinated to live by everyone around us at all times. That's why we have to come here and we have to dig our heads into the Word and, and ask the questions, how do you want us to live that's different from the way that we're being instructed to live all day long. This is so important. We are to be people who are willing to risk for one another. Next, we should be hardworking. This one's quick and easy. But notice he he mentions several people, four women specifically, that he calls hardworking, one of them very hardworking. Mary. In verse 6, Trifena and Trifosa, interesting names. In verse 12, later in verse 12, Persis, four women who, who Paul says were hard workers in the Lord. One of the most amazing gifts we can give to the body of Christ is our energy, the energy for work. So what we do in this life is we convert our energy into money for ourselves. That's what we do for work so that we can have things, so that we can take care of ourselves, so we meet our needs. We convert energy into money and pleasure. Many, if not most of us, go and expend the best of our energies. We wake up early in the morning in the freshest part of our day. And, and for 8 or 10 or sometimes 12 hours, we dedicate ourselves, our energies, the best of ourselves, to our work, which is not bad. But there is to be in the life of a Christian a held-back portion. A portion of our energy that's not just the leftovers, it's not just the trash, that we can give to the body of Christ, that we can give to one another... There are some that willingly and joyfully give the best of themselves to this church, the advancement of this work. I don't even have to say names, and you would probably be able to come up with a list of names of people who don't get any reward or pay for it, but they dedicate themselves in incredible ways. Paul named four women in this passage, and I'm not sure why he chose only those four women. There were probably a bunch of other women that worked really hard. They were kind of like, man, why didn't Paul mention me? And at the risk of having the same thing happen, I'm going to mention four women in our church that work their tails off. I don't know if I can say that. (laughs) I was trying to figure out what word I could say there. Work their tails off around here because they love Jesus and they love us. I think of Lydia She She's up here standing at the corner of the stage. And every week she just like dedicates herself to this church. Uh, We do pay her, by the way. It's not a lot, but we do pay her. And she's joyful to receive it. um, But I get the sense that she'd do it even if she didn't get paid. She loves our kids. She loves us. And she spends many, many waking hours every day dedicated, dedicating her brilliant mind, her bright energies to our benefit. This is a really incredible thing that she does for us. Every single week... Her responsibilities as a wife and a mother of three very high-spirited boys is, is split as she gives attention and energy to us. Arguably speaking, she could give more time, energy, and attention to her family and to her children, but she decides to dedicate some of it to us, to pour the best of her energies into us. Lindsay Jeffs does this too. She does this at the same time. She's got a lot to handle too. She's married to Brendan, and if you don't know Brendan, she's got a lot going on, you know? And she's got three little kiddos also at home, and, and they could also be described as high spirited. Yeah, every week she sorts through the administrative details, the uh, let me say the administrative mess that Pastor Colby and I make around here. Uh, and she and she just sorts it out. Uh, I, Lauren Welch also comes to mind. Lauren, you know, Lauren's here. She's kind of you know new back to the body, but she was part of the church. Uh, back um, in the 2009, 2010, 2011 range. And and at that time, um, we were still trying to figure out who we were as a a people. And I, I, uh, with some help from some other folks around here, we decided that the best thing for us to do, sounds crazy now, and you're gonna laugh a little bit, was to open a coffee shop. We decided, literally, literally, we're going to open a brick-and-mortar coffee shop. I really like coffee. Pastor Colby likes coffee. We all like coffee. And so we were like, hey, this is a win-win. We get to drink coffee, and we get to uh, meet a bunch of people. We were having a hard time finding a way to engage with people meaningfully. We thought coffee shop's a great place to engage with people. So we we went about the business of raising the money together. And, And Lauren, man, like she dedicated herself to this work. She opened up this cafe. It's long forgotten. It's called Coffee with a Cause, CWAC for short. Anybody ever walk in the doors of CWAC in this room? Yeah. All right, okay, that makes me happy. Some people know what it is. Um, and, and we operated this, this cafe and we were looking for a way to reach people and serve missionaries and plant a church and have coffee and spend time with one another. And Lauren spent hundreds of hours making CWAC a thing. Hundreds of hours. She made it a great coffee shop. It was a great coffee shop, it, it didn't ever work financially. But it was a great coffee shop. It was a great establishment. She oversaw the volunteers. She ordered supplies. She ran the entire operation. More than a decade later, she's back and she's serving us again. She's doing foster care work here. You saw her up here a couple weeks ago. She's just giving herself to the church over and over again. Kate Steele comes to mind, too. She's involved in an incredible number of things around here. On top of raising six kids and having a high-spirited husband... She finds time to pour many hours each week into the body. I mean, and I could go on and on and on and on. We should work hard to strengthen the body of Christ and to advance the mission of God. This is what we do for one another. And for Paul to read through this list of of people at this church, 29 people, and highlight four women specifically and say, those women are hard workers is to, to just acknowledge that there, there's a work to the ministry. And lastly, I want you to see here, the last thing I just want to point out to you is that we should be as friends and as family. Look at verses, verse 9, for example. Urbanus, our co-worker in Jesus Christ, and my dear friend stacus so, Urbanus and Stachus, they're like co-workers and friends. They're like companions. And then look at verse 13. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother. He doesn't even give his mother's name. His mother, who's been like a mother to me too. Paul can say his mother's been like a mother to me? Like, that's that's meaningful. That's powerful. Look at verse 14, the next verse. Greet uh, asyncratas and uh, phlegon and hermes and petrobus and hermos and the other brothers and sisters with them i don't think this is a throwaway term i think he really sees them as family he feels them as family i don't know about you and how how fringe you are around here or how deep you are into the life of the body but I do feel like many people here, I feel them as brothers and sisters, and mothers and fathers, and children, spiritually speaking. And I know others feel that way about me and my family. Recently I had a conversation with a, with a member who was saying that they feel a responsibility for my own children. This is, this is a powerful thing we get to be with one another. This is not just like a store that we go to and we have no real connection to the other shoppers in that store. This is like a family that we belong to. And we have a substantive, a real, a meaningful connection to one another if we will embrace it. There's a section in here that I'm really not going to address today. It probably deserves a whole sermon on its own about about divisions and obstacles that come inside the body relationally, and we know that there are divisions and obstacles that can relationally happen inside the body. But look down at verse 21 again. Timothy, my co-worker, he, he sends his greetings to you as do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. And so, so you know there's this continued work that happens on the field but also here as we are separated we have so many churches that we have sent out and people that were meaningful to us here at one time who are now doing ministry in another place and there's this like longing to be with them and to be back in the body together with them but there's also this reality that the work they're doing is meaningful and the connection they have just like a family member who moves away feels substantive and he closes the passage with this incredible benediction this incredible benediction that says now to him who's able to do in accordance with the gospel message that I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for as long as ages past, but now revealed and make known through prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God that we that, that all of the Gentiles might come into obedience that comes from faith. See, the motivation is in part that the Gentiles might come to faith. It's the same thing as what Jesus said: "They'll know you're my disciples by the way you love one another." I just want to close today with a with a quick story. I remember talking to a friend a few years ago, and and that friend um, lives right here in Northern Virginia, and she was a little upset the day I saw her because uh, she had learned that her commuting companion for twenty two years. She's in a van pool in the commuting companion for 22 years, had died. She was remorseful because she'd rode in the van next to this woman to and from D.C. every day, every work day, for 22 years. And she'd never meaningfully spoken to her. At, at the funeral, she learned that her travel buddy was a wife and had children, and she'd been fighting cancer on and off for years. She learned all that at the funeral. And this is the most northern Virginia story I've ever heard. I mean, I can totally see this happening, can't you? I mean, just because we live around here and we kind of get it. We we understand the way things operate around here. But this this is not right. This is not the way it should be. It's a sad story. It's not surprising. We can understand how something like this might happen, but at times we find ourselves working harder to avoid interactions with others. Than we do working to cultivate meaningful friendships and relationships with one another, with those that God places in our path. You know, in the church, we have we have people who who feel like smothered by their family and and their friends, and they just want away from that. And we have also people who would just give anything for a little more of their family's undivided attention. All in the same body people we relate to we have people in this church who are completely exhausted from the amount of conversation and interaction that takes place between them and other people at this church and 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 at the same time there are people who come and go each week and feel unfulfilled unconnected this should not be so listen friends if somebody's alone here it's an emergency One of the most important things we do as a faith family is we grab people who are on the fringe and we push through the awkwardness of those first conversations to try to get to meaningful friendship and relationships, so that we can help one another along to heaven. That's what we do. And this is the way in which we're so distinct from the world. The world does not do this. And so I want to encourage us to, to take these ways on the ways we see paul relating being like family family and friends with one another working hard for one another and with one another being willing to risk our necks for one another and commending one another for their good let's pray god we love you we need you we ask for your help and guidance god to live this way is unusual it's abnormal in our society and we need your help oh god could you highlight specific ways that I could see needs around me, specifically other the needs of other Christians so that as I love them you would be glorified? God, would you help those who feel disconnected here and long for meaningful familial connection and friendship to find it? Lord Jesus, would you Would you give us wisdom to know when to speak and what to say? And God, would you bond this faith family together in a way that would bring incredible glory to you and and, and in a way that would, would embolden us to spread your message far and wide? We ask in the name of Jesus and for his glory alone.